You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endears sorrows, while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you on this, the Lord's Day. And uh, just looking around a little bit, I'm not, I don't mean to call people out, but it also seems to be bring your parent to church Sunday. So, no, that's a good thing. It's very great to have you with us as well. And to those that are joining with us online, welcome. Um, one of the hard things that we often do is in sending, is sending people. And one, one of the things I wanted to make the broader church aware of, I, I think our members are aware of this already, but um, as we previously communicated, we want to let you know about a staff transition for our director of children's ministry and our office manager, Hannah Kirkland. So Hannah has served selflessly, has served uh, faithfully in the church these many years, and her role is ending as of July 31st. We're grateful for her, her faithful service to Christ and his church, for all that she's put in in helping to disciple our kids and also to help parents be the primary disciple makers of our kids. Um, also, in what she's uh, contributed not only for our youth group, but then also in helping keep our um, keep the office side of things humming like a well-oiled machine. But uh, we're going to we're going to miss her terribly. We look forward to celebrating her and honoring her. So actually, you'll watch your inbox this week where we have some thoughts on some things we want to do and get the kids involved. Um, parents, I apologize ahead of time. It might be a little messy. You know, I'm just picturing like kids and paint and handprints and all kinds of stuff. So just let the, let the chaos ensue. You know, we, we deal with that anyway. But uh, we look forward to honoring her. Her last, we'll be celebrating her, especially on August 1st. Um, but I uh, just want to give you a heads up to be watching for your email and some of the ways that we want to celebrate her. And 
to make you aware of the needs that we have too. So if uh, God might place it on your heart to serve within the church in those, those two main ways, so either in serving um, among our children's ministry or the administrative component, we'd love to, actually we'll be sending out those, those position descriptions. We'd love to sit down with you if that's something that God might place on your heart as well. So please be praying for Hannah. We love her. We'll miss her dearly. But as she enters a new season of life and ministry, we just want to celebrate her and send her off well. Does that sound good? Yeah. Well, if you haven't already, please turn to First Peter. And last week, we were in those preceding verses, verses 13 to 17, and we're looking particularly at what it means to live as citizens. And in a way, looking at what it means to live as dual citizens, our primary allegiance being within the kingdom of God, but then also how do we navigate our current surroundings, our current setting. And the core truth was that while our ultimate allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom, how we live in our current sociopolitical setting matters. It matters to God. It matters to all of our fellow image bearers. And it, and it influences, quite frankly, it influences how people view God and Christianity. And we explored what it means to live as citizens of heaven and earth and looked at those priorities that Peter places there at the end of that passage, that of fearing or revering God, loving our sisters and brothers within the family of Christ, and then honoring all fellow image bearers, but, but also honoring our leaders, honoring those that God has placed in those positions. Well, starting in verse 18, Peter shifts his attention to household servants in the first century. But in a broader sense, what he says here actually speaks to all Christians. A seed for that is actually planted in chapter 2, verse 16, when he writes, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Living as servants of God. So that's what I want to do with our time here together. Um, after giving a set of instructions, though, Peter does something quite surprising. And so, um, before we dive in, though, I'd love to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your holy and life-giving word. We pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you illumine our hearts, challenge us, equip us, Prepare us, Lord, for the challenges that we face in navigating our dual citizenship, of living this life that feels in so many ways between two worlds. Lord, we thank you for this time to be among our sisters and brothers, and we pray that you would use this time in your word, you would time, use this time in worship and song and in communion and in prayer, Lord, to encourage us, to spur us on in the faith. Lord, even as we send out dear ones from our congregation, Father, would you use them as extensions of your kingdom wherever you place them, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. That's just not true. I could feel my temperature rising, blood beginning to boil. That's just not true. These accusations came one after the other like a salvo just right into my heart. 
And I found myself in a situation where if I spoke up or tried to defend myself, those words could be used against me. If I kept silent, my silence could be misinterpreted. It just felt like a complete no-win type of a situation. It felt like my character was being slandered with these accusations that were raised against me. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe in a in a relationship, maybe in the workplace, where something was called into question that was just completely not true. Maybe on social media, if you've gotten into one of those types of back, back and forths. How should we respond when under fire? When we face those types of situations where we know in our heart of hearts that is just simply not true, and we want to do everything in our power to do what we might call reputation damage control, right? We want to we want to challenge every one of those accusations and point counterpoint, right? Show how each one is unfounded. Well, in that moment I was alluding to earlier, God actually brought the passage that we're looking at this morning to my heart and to my soul. And in that moment, I was reminded of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that he endured, all that he endured, and how he did not seek to retaliate, and yet he entrusted himself to his Father. That's what this passage speaks to, and what we're going to see as we go through it is that we are called to endure unjust suffering because Christ suffered for us and left the ultimate example for us to follow. Christ suffered for us, and left the ultimate example for us to follow. In our time here in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25, we're going to begin with the instructions to servants more broadly in verses 18 to 20, and then zoom out and look at the ultimate example, actually more, more so zoom in, on the ultimate example of Christ that is found in verses 21 through 25. And so, beginning with verses 18, and 20, 18 to 20, when faced with unjust suffering, we must be willing to endure. After the section on submitting to governing authorities, Peter turns to household servants and instructs them to submit to their masters. I have to admit, when we hear that word, servant or slave, in other translations, we immediately, it's, it's ingrained within us. We can't help but think of the horrible institution of slavery and its ongoing repercussions in our own nation. It's important, I believe, though, when looking at a passage such as this to be able to look a little bit deeper into the historical context and the time in which Peter was writing. And part of what he does here is, in the midst of the first century, had, there were differences, quite frankly. There were differences where um, servants or bond servants, perhaps might be a better term, made up about a quarter of the Roman Empire. Many were, many were unskilled workers, but also many were managers, were overseers, were professionals like doctors or nurses, teachers, musicians. Servants were able to work for pay and to save enough at times to, to buy freedom. And like as I mentioned, that term bondservant, although we don't necessarily use that term as much anymore, might, might be 
little bit more applicable to what we see here in this, in this first century setting. And so for some of these reasons, I do believe that one of the ways that we can look at this passage is by looking at relationships even today within or between uh, employers and employees. I think that is one application of that. But as, as we saw, Peter sees all Christians, he uses the same language, he uses, sees all Christians as servants of God. Christians are called to be subject not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust. You know, in other places in Scripture, there are more, um, I guess, more directed passages toward those that were in positions of leadership. So like Colossians 4.1 Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is how masters should be. But what about those who are not just and fair? Well, the word for unjust in verse 18 here means something like twisted or crooked. If you've been in an airplane and you've looked down and you've seen a river that kind of snakes its way through the particular landscape. That's kind of what's in view here. That's the idea of this. It's, these are twisted people. And Peter's point is that we should submit to those over us regardless of whether they are good or bad. Wow. What Peter goes on to say is that, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. This isn't just a call to suck it up and drive on. This isn't a call to just deal with it, deal with unjust suffering, nor is Paul or Peter here saying that they are to have a stoic mindset, just sitting there and, and taking the pain. No. Instead, we are commended if we are mindful of God in the midst of that suffering. That means that in the face of unjust suffering, we are to have an understanding that he is with us, that he is for us, and that he loves us no matter what we face. God is pleased when his people trust him in the midst of even unjust suffering. And there are times when we are going to be punished for doing something wrong, as verse 20 alludes to. This is the kind of punishment that is deserved, but that's not what Peter has in mind here. The kind of suffering he has in mind is suffering for doing good, what he calls unjust suffering. Many experienced suffering in the first century simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And some may face that very same, that very same issue today, sometimes in the way of, of harassment, in the way of slander. I think about Christians all over the world, and I'm so inspired by brothers in arms that are serving in Iraq, two dear gentlemen that are co-pastors there. I, I sure hope that someday I have the opportunity to bring them here, encourage us all. But when I think about all that they have endured, knife attacks, bombing attempts, and yet are continuing to preach the gospel, to make disciples and to plant churches, not only in Iraq, but also across the border into Iran, it inspires me every day. I love the connectedness that we have, even with a tool like WhatsApp. And so when I hear that go off and I see we baptized another 20 believers today, wow, that is such an encouragement and such a, such a reminder to me of how Christians all over the world, the situations and circumstances that they face because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Unjust suffering also means, in a broader sense, suffering that is undeserved. It could come in other forms, like character assassination, like misrepresentation, verbal threats, others as well. And so when faced with unjust suffering, how can we endure? How do we live this out? Well, first we need to submit to those over us and maintain respect. That is something that Peter alludes to in verses 13 to 17, or echoing some of verses 13 to 17. Honoring everyone includes leaders, includes employers, includes other authorities. But again, Peter's point is that this should happen regardless of if they are good or bad. Dear church, it is so much easier to work for someone and to submit to someone who is good and gentle and seems to have your best interest in mind. Think about it. Who are some of the types of leaders that you thrive under? But then there are leaders that almost make us wilt as a person. You know, in the army, I had examples of good leadership that inspired me to want to be a leader as well because I wanted to be like them. And I had examples of horrible leadership that I actually learned from along the way, but also maybe in some twisted way wanted to become a leader because I wanted no one to be subject to that kind of leadership. Liz Wiseman talks about leaders being either multipliers or diminishers. Multipliers essentially amplify the intelligence of those around them, lift them up, and they get twice as much of the capacity and commitment from those that they lead. Diminishers shut down the intelligence of others. They can have a draining effect, actually, on the organization. And if you, well, I don't know if I should say this or not, but if you haven't worked for a diminisher yet, you will. (laughs) But whether we find ourselves under a multiplier or a diminisher, the encouragement is the same. The encouragement is the same here. I want to be careful. Peter isn't saying that we should submit no matter what. And even as we grappled with last week, there are times when we are going to come face to face with affronts to our Christian ethics. Calls to do something that do not square with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is when and where we are called to go with our primary allegiance. The fear of God. The fear of God. When going through unjust suffering, we also need to have an awareness of God. It's not a test of how tough we are or how much we can take on our own. During unjust suffering, we need to be mindful of God and we need to maintain, as I mentioned, we need to maintain that ultimate allegiance, our allegiance to him. Think about Jesus. In his darkest moment, as he hung on the cross even and experienced verbal attacks, he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. In the dark night of the soul, remember that God is with you. Instead of an attitude of, I can handle this, Let us echo that sentiment found in Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord. Instead of an attitude of, I can take the pain, remember those words, my grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12. Most importantly, though, when going through unjust suffering, we need to remember 
all that Jesus went through. And that's exactly where Peter goes next, in verses 21 through 25. We must be willing to endure because Christ suffered and left the ultimate example for us to follow. You know, this section may come as a surprise in the middle of these instructions that we've seen, these instructions about living out our dual citizenship, instructions to to household servants, and then, as we're going to see, instructions within the marriage partnership as well. But here's this jewel in the midst of this, these instructions, the example of Christ. It actually gives the reason why we should endure unjust suffering and is completely grounded in and rehearses God's gospel right here in the middle. Verse 21, I believe, is the crux of this passage. We must be willing to endure unjust suffering because Christ suffered for us. Remember, Jesus came to serve. Mark 10, 45 reminds us of this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the ways he demonstrated this service tangibly was by kneeling to wash the fishy, funky, foul feet of his disciples. And the main way, the primary way he demonstrated this was by giving himself in love, giving himself on the cross so that we could be healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. Christ left an example that we should, work, that we should follow. The word for example here is similar to that of a pattern for alphabetic letters. Now, if you have kids that are of the age where they're kind of tracing, learning those letters as, as mine are right now, this might even pop a little bit more in terms of the imagery behind this, but that is very much the idea behind this. It carries the idea of being the closest copy possible. And his pattern is not an example. His pattern is not like one among many. His pattern is not just an exemplary one. His pattern is the ultimate example, the paradigm for us to follow. And may our lives be traced after the pattern of Christ himself. May we follow in his footsteps. This ultimate example is further spelled out in verses 22 through 25, and it is very clear that Peter sees a deep connection between Christ and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Nearly every word drips with that in its background. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that notion of enduring unjust suffering in order to bring about hope and healing to people, he weaves echoes and allusions to Isaiah 53 into this entire sec, really into the whole letter, but especially this section. And Peter rehearses the story of Jesus found in the Gospels, but even more important than that, I believe it is his own vivid recalling of the events surrounding Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Peter had a front row seat. He was an eyewitness for these things. There are four aspects to the ultimate example set by Christ. Four aspects that Peter gives them, I think, in the order of the passion narrative itself. The first is that Jesus was perfectly sinless. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
And even as we hear that right in its background, we can hear the words of Isaiah 53, verse 9. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Christ experienced temptation on earth. He experienced the full range of humanity. He knew what it was like to live among us, but he never sinned. He was the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for sins. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Second aspect, he did not retaliate. He did not lash out in retaliation. Verse 23 makes that clear. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In a similar way, Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus endured slander by the Sanhedrin, that was the, the religious council. He endured ridicule from the Roman guards. He endured verbal abuse from the thief that was hanging next to him. Even as Peter was writing to the people who were who were suffering here in this context, one of the things that they were suffering was verbal abuse. You see that in chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 3, verse 9 and 16. The temptation to retaliate in situations like that is overwhelming. In fact, later in the letter, Peter writes, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. In that time I was alluding to at the beginning, <clears throat> when I faced you know, some of those false accusations that were, that were leveled against me, I have to say that I felt a little bit like David in that, in that time, like Saul. If you recall the story, Saul hurling the spear at David, and it was so tempting to want to pull that spear out of the wall and fire it right back. But this passage ministered to my heart in the midst of that. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know, a mentor of mine who serves at the Navigators uh, during, during actually that particularly difficult time um, made me aware of a little a book that's a mercifully short read, I guess. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. Has anyone heard of that book, Tale of Three Kings? Without, uh, I guess, going into all of the details of it, one of the things that it does is shows how David related to Saul as a tyrant king and also how David related to Absalom as a usurping king. And in reading that book and thinking about some of my present circumstances and so forth, I found myself going, yes, I am the David, he is the Saul, I am the David, he is the Saul, I am the David, he is the Saul. And right, I, think the, um, I think the author is Gene Edwards. You might correct me if I'm wrong on that, but if only we had some little device where we could look these things up, you know. But right in the middle, he pulls this like Yoda-like moment where it's like, so sure are you. 
that you are the David and he is the Saul. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, man. And he goes on to talk about all of the Saul-like tendencies that all of us have. The Saul-like tendencies that we all have. Oh, man. You know, as I alluded to as well, it was tempting, it was tempting in that situation to do um, reputation damage control. That is to go around to all those that maybe also had been made aware of those false accusations and try to, try to defend my character or to say, you know, um, yeah, to try to, to try to change the narrative. And I found myself, I found God in entrusting myself to him. I found him saying, live as I have called you to and leave the rest to me. And what I found is that in living in perhaps a way that countered the narrative, it raised eyebrows and left people going, you know what, that's not what I had heard, but this is a very different, I'm kind of butchering this, but you can kind of get a sense of what I'm saying, is essentially the way that I lived was a counter-narrative to those false accusations, rather than going around feeling like, feeling like I had to do all this mopping up on my own. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And what did he do? He willingly gave himself on the cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Behind this, Isaiah 53, 4, and actually verse 12 as well, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus took our sins upon him and died what was at the time actually a slave's death by crucifixion. And Christ gave his life so that we could be set free. But, but his death, but his death was unique. Following his example doesn't mean dying for sins. Praise God. He took care of that. But when we follow his example, when we endure unjust suffering, we show thankfulness for his death on the cross when we act like Jesus. Fourth aspect of what he did, he did this for you and for me. By his wounds, you are healed. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. His suffering was aimed at rescuing lost people. By his wounds... You have been healed. What an amazing reality that Jesus was beaten, Jesus was bruised and broken so that broken lives could be put back together so that we could experience radical healing in his arms. We must be willing to endure because Christ suffered and left the ultimate example for us to follow. And in light of his example, a couple of other takeaways for us to consider. First, follow in the footsteps of Christ. Following the footsteps of Christ. The call to trace our lives on the pattern of Christ is a radical call. Think again about the status of servants in the first century. What Peter does here is actually subtle. 
He encourages people to serve within the structure of the day so that Christianity would not come under further fire or be labeled as subversive. But what he does is he lays the groundwork for and challenges them with their ultimate allegiance being to God and the ultimate example to follow being in Christ. And this dramatically elevated the dignity of servants. And Peter and the other New Testament writers did not carry out a full attack on the social structures of the time, much as we would have maybe hoped looking at it through our modern lens. But what they do is even more remarkable. Theologian Miroslav Volf, who I think I alluded to a couple weeks ago, but he writes, the call to follow the crucified Messiah was in the long run much more effective in changing the unjust political, economic, and familial structures than direct exhortations to revolutionize them would have ever been. For an allegiance to the crucified Messiah, indeed worship of a crucified God, is an eminently political act that subverts a politics of dominion at its very core. It is this call to follow in the footsteps of Christ that led someone like William Wilberforce, for instance, to stand against slavery in England. And it is this call to follow in the footsteps of Christ that has led, to, led many to combat modern injustices and to bring the life-giving message of hope to those that are in desperate need. And rather than responding in kind, we are called to respond in kindness. Rather than respond in kind, let us respond in kindness. In the face of verbal attacks and threats, it's tempting to fire right back. We want to retaliate, but that comes from a place of our own brokenness. The example that Jesus set should reverberate in our lives. He did not retaliate. He did not seek to get even. And knowing that God judges justly gives us great hope. It also allows us to forgive others and to leave judgment in God's hands. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. D.A. Carson, who was one of my professors that I had back at Trinity, writes, in some instances, the soundest advice is to keep silent, not least if the opponents are so obsessed that whatever you say will be turned against you. This is not the silence of fear, resentment, or even resignation, but rather of courage, of compassion, confidence, and patient endurance. Church, let us entrust ourselves to God. Let us entrust ourselves to God. What I was, when I was going through that particularly dark night of the soul that I mentioned earlier, I learned just a sliver of what this means, just a sliver of what it means to entrust ourselves to God. It means to place our confidence in him. It means to remember that he is our vindic vindicator, that he will right every wrong, that he will do that whether it's in this life or it's in the next. And every wrong done in this world fits into two categories. It will either be covered by the blood of Christ or it will be punished justly by God at the final judgment. And so let us return. Let us return to the good shepherd and overseer of our souls. Let us return to the good shepherd and experience his healing. Maybe you're here and you've realized you've been in a season 
a season of wandering yourself. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he suffered, that he died, and he rose again so that you and I could be radically rescued and reconciled with the Father. Jesus says in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Return to Jesus, the good shepherd. Return to him who laid down his very life for you. Return to Jesus, for by his wounds you have been healed. Here's the bottom line one more time. Endure unjust suffering because Christ suffered for you and left the ultimate example for us to walk, for us to follow. In those moments when you feel like you're under attack, when people hurl insults at you, perhaps try to assassinate your character, remember this. We must endure unjust suffering because Christ suffered for you and left the ultimate example to follow. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you for the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, we thank you for your life-giving word, for this reminder to us. And Father, would you help us to live this out? Would you cause us to follow in the footsteps of Christ and to pattern our very lives after him. Father, this is a challenging word. We admit that it, we need your wisdom. and We thank you that you give it freely to those who ask. And so help us, God, to bear up under those times when we feel like we are under attack. May we entrust ourselves to you. Father, we thank you for your great gospel. We thank you for what you have done through your son to reconcile us, to renew us, and to heal us. And so we praise your name this day with this truth echo in our hearts and move out into our hands as we live among this hurting and broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.